So let me, let me give you the gist. Uh, the gist is we're in a series talking about knowing the God's will. And, and the idea is, is that uh, you and I have incredibly short lives. And, and what would it be like to live my life and never discover God's will? And I'd never want to do that. So we've been talking about what, what is it that I have to do to set myself up to be ready to hear what God has for me? And uh, if you're here for the first time today, you just need, we're not talking about like hearing an audible voice of God. I have never heard God's audible voice. If I did, I'm pretty sure it would freak me out uh, really bad. And if you have heard God, God's audible voice, please don't tell me because that's freaking me out really bad too. So that's, that's not what we're talking about. We're simply saying, how do I make my life available to God and say, God, speak to me, talk to me, speak in the inner depths of my heart. Tell me what I need to know about my life and what it is that you created me to be here for and do while I was here that I don't get to the end of my life and go, man, I, I have no idea. Why I just lived the last 90 years. I, I don't know. So we started out and we uh, began the first Sunday. And we said, look, if you're going to know uh, the will of God in your life, it can't be about you and me deciding what God's will ought to be for us and then trying to twist God's arm to do what we've already determined he ought to do for us. That, that really what you and I, if we really want to hear from God and want to know God's will, have got to be willing to say, look, God, I am willing to take all of my plans, all of my conditions that I've set up for you. I'm willing to repack them, to put them back in the closet and say, look, you tell me where we're going. You tell me what it is you've got for my life instead of me telling you what you should do for me. And then uh, last week we talked about this idea that said, if I really, really, really want to hear God's particular, God's special will, and there was that thing that God has just for me, that special thing for me in my life, then I better be sure that I have already complied with, been obedient to the general will of God, the common will of God. In other words, the things that he asks every believer to do, because here's the deal. If God has already said, this is what I want everyone to do. This is what all believers ought to do. This is my will for them. And you and I have already vetoed the general will of God. What are the chances that God's then going to go? Okay, so let me tell you the special thing that I have for your life. And let me tell you the specific thing I have just for you. I know you just vetoed what I already told you, but there's no chance. There's no chance. And we said, you know, you and I discovered that general will, that thing that God asks of every believer right here in the word of God. And that the will of God will never violate this. As a matter of fact, we made a challenge back and forth last week and said, how are we going to know the will of God if we don't know the word of God? And we made a commitment to each other to begin reading the book of Proverbs. You should be on chapter six, seven, eight. Someone's cruising. All right. So you're doing good. All right. So let's, let's go another place today. What do you do if you find yourself in a moment when you go, look, 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 I need to know the will of God now. See, I, I, I'm in a place and, and, and they're asking me to sign the contract on Wednesday. And I just need to know, should I? Should I? And, and here's the thing. I don't think I got enough time to go through seminary and figure this out first. I, I, should I sign that contract on Wednesday? I, I'm in a dating relationship. And Lynn, this is just where we're at. We, we've come as far as you can go without making major decisions next. So I, we either need to make some commitments here or we need to like break up because we've run. Now what? How do you, how do I know that, you know, in, in my life? And, and, and Lynn, you know, here's the, here's the deal. I'm thinking about moving. I mean, I, I did. I tried the whole scripture thing. I didn't find anywhere in the Bible that said Idaho is a good idea. It didn't say that. Matter of fact, I, I stuck my finger in and all I got was Judas went out and hung himself. And I was thinking, 
So I tried again, you know, I flipped a few more pages and I put my finger down again and it said, go and do thou likewise. And I'm just thinking that's the wrong way to figure out the will of God. And, and you're right. So, so the question comes today, what do you do in one of those moments when there needs to be a decision now? And if, and if you were really being honest, you say, you know what? I, I'm probably too close to this thing. I probably in my heart already know what I want the answer to be. So it's really hard to figure out what the answer should be. The truth is, I, I've got some fear about this thing. I, 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 you know, boy, there's some things that look safe and there's some things that look scary. And if you, I got some fear. I've got some history. See, the last time I tried that. So, so what do you do when you got to make a decision now in your life? Isn't that a great question? Because every one of us has faced that moment. And here's the deal. We're going to talk about that today. The answer that you and I are going to talk about is amazingly, amazingly, amazingly simple. I just want to warn you before, warn you before we begin. It's amazingly simple. As a matter of fact, at some point in this message, you're going to go, I knew that. Here's the big question. Do you do that? Do you actually take advantage of this option, this opportunity, which I believe may be one of the most practical opportunities to hear the will of God in your life? We know it, but do we do it? So I'll tell you what, grab your Bibles this morning. We're going to go look at the life of a guy who had this moment. He's in the heat of the moment. He's got pressure. Someone's saying, I need a decision now. And, and in that moment, he starts to do the right thing and then blows it in his life. So you have your Bibles. Go with me to 1 Kings. And if you're not real familiar, 1 Kings is actually an Old Testament uh, book of the Bible. Which means simply, it's going to be in the front of your Bible. So go to the front, start working to the right. You're going to find First and Second Samuel first, and start slowing down. You'll get to First Kings. First Kings chapter twelve. Let me give you a little bit of background while you're thumbing through and finding that in your Bibles. Uh, some of you that have a little bit of background in uh, Jewish history will know that the first king of Israel is a guy by the name of Saul. He is a wreck of a king. He literally, you could have written the book on what not to do as king based on the life of Saul. His uh, follow-up is a guy by the name of David, who is a guy who has his whole heart given to God. Remember, the scripture just says, where can I find a man like David, who desperately, desperately serves God with all, makes a lot of mistakes, but serves God with all of his heart. His son, David's son, becomes the next king. He's a guy by the name of Solomon. Wisest man who ever walked the face of the earth. But in his tenure as king, you need to know that it was kind of a Jekyll and Hyde uh, type of a tenure. He starts off amazingly, amazingly, amazingly well. And somewhere as he gets wealthy and goes along in life, he loses sight of God. And Solomon finishes horribly within his kingdom. And in the midst of Solomon finishing off with a thud, God comes to Solomon and simply says this. Uh, your son uh, will not sit uh, on the throne of Israel. He says, well, he'll sit there because I promised David that his ancestors would never not sit on the throne. But I'm going to rip the majority of the kingdom away. Your son is only going to sit over a fraction of the kingdom. And the biggest part of the kingdom is actually going to go to another man. Matter of fact, he even names this man to King Solomon. His name is Jeroboam. Now, Solomon, in all of his wisdom, says, well, I know how to fix that for God. And so he begins to try and chase Jeroboam down and just have him killed. <laughs> and in the process, Jeroboam flees and goes and hangs out in Egypt. Solomon dies. And now it's time to crown the new king. Solomon's rightful heir, the one who's in line, the son who's destined by God's word to only get the smallest portion of the kingdom. You ready? His name is, you ready? 
Rehoboam, okay, with an R, Rehoboam. Jeroboam is the one who's against the majority of the kings. So let's read. That's what's happening right now. It's 1 Kings chapter 12. Rehoboam, the son in the line of Solomon. Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all the Israelites had gone there to make him king. Then Jeroboam, the guy who's been living in Egypt, son of Naboth, heard this. He was still in Egypt where he had fled from King Solomon. He returned from Egypt. So they sent for Jeroboam, and he and the whole assembly of Israel went to Rehoboam and said to him, Your father, Solomon, put a heavy yoke on us, but now lighten the harsh labor and the heavy yoke he put on us, and we will serve you. I get this. Jeroboam goes with the assembly of Israel to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, and says, Look, your dad, Solomon, worked us to death. See, here's the deal. Solomon was all about creating like all these new streets in Israel and these monuments and these museums and just amazing statues, all this stuff. And matter of fact, he accomplished that. And we know from history that literally people would come from all over the world to see the accomplishments of Solomon. It's part of what consumed the end of his life. And, and so what's happened now is the children of Israel said, look, he worked us like crazy trying to build this thing up for himself. And then he had to have money to do it. So he taxed us out of our minds. And he says, look, just, just promise us, Rehoboam, that you're not going to be a king like your dad was a king. Promise us that it's not just another work project getting ready to happen. Tell us that and we will gladly let you be king. Now... This is, this is an interesting moment in the brand new kingship of Rehoboam because stop and think about the position that he's just been placed. How do you answer that? I mean, they're waiting. What are you going to do? Tell us how you're going to lead. And, and for Rehoboam, he goes, well, if I give in to them, then doesn't it look like I'm a softie? Doesn't it look like I, I don't have any backbone? And what makes it even worse is Jeroboam is with them making the request. So doesn't that make me look like a puppet king? Doesn't that look like he's really got the power, that I'm intimidated by him? And, and if I give in, then, then aren't people going to go, I wonder if Rehoboam can actually lead. The flip side of it is Rehoboam knows they're right. His dad was a harsh leader in the end of his reign. And he was too hard on the people. And he did exploit the people. And and the truth is, their request is absolutely reasonable. Now what do you do? Look bad. Do something reasonable. So he does something I think is amazingly wise. Maybe one of the wisest things that Rehoboam did in his entire kingship. Here's the next thing he says. Verse 5, Rehoboam answered them, Go away for three days and then come back to me. Uh, So the people went away. Get it. Get the moment. Get the moment. I'm not going to answer this right now. There's too much pressure. I've got the whole, you know, inauguration thing going on. I'm too close to this issue. You're talking about my dad. Go away. Let me go seek the right answer. Okay? Fill in the space. Let me go find out God's will for this. Okay? Great, great response. Okay? And here's what he does next. And when you see it, you're going to go, Lynn, that's so easy. I know it's easy. We just don't do it. Here's what he does next. Then King Rehoboam, verse 6, Then King Rehoboam consulted the elders who had served his father Solomon during his lifetime. 
How would you advise me to answer these people? He asked. They replied, if today you will be, now look at the next word. If you will be a servant to these people and see that word again, serve them and give them a favorable answer. They will always be your servants. Think now, listen, great advice. Here's what they say. They say, look, 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 they're right. And, and what they need to know is, is that, is that you as a king are different than your dad was and that you don't view the people as something to meet your needs and to serve you. So the best way to start off your reign is to show them that you're a servant king, that your kingship is about helping them and bettering their lives. And they say, look, Rehoboam, if you'll take this moment, cause you've got a pivotal moment here. If you'll take this moment and if you'll respond in servanthood, then you need to know that you'll win the hearts of the people and they will forever be your servants. Now, here's the problem. Rehoboam doesn't like the answer. See, Rehoboam goes, that's a stinky answer. Me, the king, serve? Yucky doo-doo. I don't like, I, I, that's not what I wanted to hear. Don't like the answer. So he does what you and I sometimes do. He goes to look for someone who will give him the answer he wants. Okay? So, here we go. Verse 9. Verse 8. But Rehoboam rejected the advice of the elders, gave him and consulted the young men who had grown up with him and were serving him. He asked them, what is your advice? How should we answer these people who say to me, lighten the yoke your father put on us. The young men who had grown up with him replied, tell these people who have said to you, your father put a heavy yoke on us, but make our yoke lighter. Tell them this. My little finger is thicker than my father's waist, which is just kind of a way of saying, hey, look, you think daddy was bad? You know, the, the weight of my, the little finger of my reign is going to be heavier on your backs than the bulk of my dad's body. That's, that's where we're going. My father laid on you a heavy yoke. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. You know what they're really saying is, look, 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 look. Prove to them right out of the chute who the man is. You know, just set it straight. You can back off later. You can be nice later, but rather show them who the man is. Three days later, Jeroboam and all the people returned to Rehoboam, as the king had said, come back to me in three days. The king answered the people harshly, rejecting the advice given by the elders. He followed the advice of the young men and said, my father made your yoke heavy. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I'll scourge you with scorpions. So the king, get this, so the king did not listen to the people. For this turn of events was from the Lord to fulfill what the word of the Lord had spoken to Jeroboam, son of Nabat, through Ahiah, the Shilonite. When, when, all Israel, when all Israel saw that the king refused to listen to them, they answered the king, What share do we have in David and what part in Jesse's son? They just said, look, look, if that's the way it is, we don't want anybody from the lineage of David ruling over us. And in that day, the kingdom is torn I know what some of you are, some of you are going to go, well, no, no Lynn, here, here's the problem. I'm just as confused as Rehoboam. See, because, I mean, I mean, he asked for advice. He got multiple answers. See, if he has that the will of God, he got multiple choice, and then he chose one, and, and it was wrong. 
How does asking for advice help me discover the will of God in my... I mean, because here's the deal. I've asked for advice. And some of the dumbest decisions I've done came by someone else's advice. Anybody? You want to name the name? Oh, no. All right. So here, here's what you got. Here, catch, 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 catch. It's not a matter of, is it good? Is it good? And matter of fact, is it powerful to ask somebody for advice? That's, that's not the question here. It's not, should I ask or shouldn't I ask? Okay. And, and the question here is not, does God sometimes speak through other Christians, his will for my, no, no. that's not even the question. Catch, catch what the issue is in the story. It's who I listen to. It's who I let speak godly counsel into my life. Because here's the... Rehoboam had an amazing answer. He didn't like it. And he chose to listen to other voices. And here's what you got to get. God will very often speak exactly what you and I need to hear. The very next thing, the wisest thing. You ready? His will for us through the voices of other believers... What you and I've got to figure out is, am I listening to the right voice? Okay, so let's just do that for a few minutes. How do I know? How do I know if the person who's counseling me is the right voice? How do, how do I know that that's what I need to be listening to? So let me give you three things real quick that will help sort this through real fast in your life. When you're in the middle of making a decision, the pressure's on. I don't know where to find this in the Bible. I don't know what to do next. I need to ask. Who do you ask? It's a great question. Number one. Choose someone who has nothing to lose by telling you the truth. Say that again. Choose someone who has nothing to lose by telling you the truth. You realize the young men, as they counseled Rehoboam, they're part of the new administration. See, their jobs hang on his job. And in the midst of their fear, in the midst of their concern, and in the midst of their naivete, they give exactly the wrong counsel. Choose someone who has nothing to lose by telling you what you need to hear. Here's why. You and I, every one of us, every one of us, has seen somebody who had a friend in their life. Matter of fact, the truth is some of us have friends like this, who are more concerned with the friendship than they are with you. In other words, they like being your friend, they want to be your friend after the discussion, And they want that more than their concern that you make the right decision next. See, they're willing willing for you to make the wrong decision as long as you stay friends. As long as you don't get mad and throw them away. So, So you ask somebody who doesn't have anything to lose by telling you what you need to hear. I was having a Coke with a young man, a a while back and we were just talking and suddenly we got onto the issue of his dating life and uh, he began to describe his relationship with his girlfriend and they were hitting some kind of like rocky road at the moment and and within 15 minutes of him describing what their relationship was you know they were both amazing young people but boy you put those two people in the same room and it was ugly you ever seen people you know nice people just don't put them together because then it's not nice. And, and, and they literally, they, two people who normally didn't fight, cats and dogs with each other. And a matter of fact, one thing that was incredible was, is that you looked and you said, you know what's really interesting? The things that she doesn't like about you, 
are the things that all of your friends love about you. The very things that she would choose to change about you, all of your friends would say, don't ever be different than that. And and the crazy part is, the things that bug you to death about her, have you ever been in those moments when the person you're with just bugs you? (laughs) Why do you smack your lips? What's wrong? You know, and the things, the things that bug you about her, those are some of God's best gifts to her. They really are. And it's incredible. You realize, and I just, I know I've only been talking to you for 15 minutes. You guys don't belong together. And this, this young man looked at me and you could just tell he's going, dude. I mean, he was shocked. He was shocked by that answer. And I looked at and I said, what are your friends telling you? What are your friends saying to you about this relationship? And he goes, they all think it's fine. Ever had a friend like that? Who was more concerned with keeping you as a friend than telling you what you really, really needed to hear? Ever been a friend like that? Thought, you know what? I know. I I know what they need to know. But I'm not going to say it because they'd be mad. Ask someone who has nothing to lose by telling you the truth. Second principle. Choose someone who is where you want to be. Choose someone who's already where you want to be. Isn't this interesting that, that often we ask advice of people who haven't done what we're trying to do or gone where we're trying to go? We go, wait, what do you think? You know, we're, so we're sitting in the office and, and we just had like this big fight with our wives. I mean, we're just ticked off and we're sitting there in the office and we're thinking about us and all of a sudden Fred comes walking by the door and we go Fred, Fred, Fred come here shut the door shut the door man I gotta I gotta tell someone man I am so ticked off at my wife let me tell you what we said to each other last night and I said and she said and blah 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 blah, blah. and Fred rocks back in his chair and he goes well I'll tell you what I told my second wife And he gets done and we go, that's so right. That's just exactly, I'm going home tonight and telling her that. <laughs> Guys, ask someone who's already where you want to be. Don't, your marriage is struggling. Ask someone who has an amazing marriage. Because they're going to tell you, they don't have an amazing marriage because it fell in their laps or because it was, they have an amazing marriage because they've navigated that very moment that you're struggling with. And they figured out how to get to the other side. And so, so you find someone who's been... You're trying to figure out, is this a good business deal or a bad business deal? Should I extend my credit that far? Ask someone who understands business. Who's been there and done that. Don't ask the person who's in cred, up to their eyeballs and the creditors are calling every week. Don't ask them. Ask someone who's gotten where you want to get. Third principle. Okay? Shouldn't have to say it, but say it. And they've got to be a godly counselor. Got to be a godly counselor. Because here's here's just the deal, guys. I know sometimes we try to separate out our spiritual walk and we go, no, 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 this is a business thing. No, 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 no. You're a child of God. Which means that every decision and every counsel you get has to be godly. Because as you conduct your business... As you decide whether or not... That's got to be a godly decision. And I... Here's the... 
I'm not telling you the people who don't know your God wouldn't try to give you the right advice. You just need to know they can't because their goals, the things that they define as a win are not the things that God defines as a win. And there's no way for a person who doesn't know your Jesus to help you understand God's will. Does that make sense? That makes sense. So here, here's the deal. You go to someone who doesn't, doesn't know God and they're going to go, no, 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 no. You tell them because you're right. You're right. Or, or, or they're going to say to you, you know what? The next time you see that man walking across the street, you speed up, sister. Wait, you know, yeah. And, and they're just going to tell you what people who don't know and don't understand the principles of God do. And, and it's, it's the, can I just say this? It's the wrong person to ask. And if you do find yourself in a position where you go, you know what, I have had to ask somebody who doesn't know my Jesus, then you better take that advice that they gave you and run it through a godly counselor before you land there. And let them have a pass at it before you cut a corner, before you cheat, before you let a godly person have a pass. Okay? So, let me just say, this is simple, right? Simple? Okay? Some of you are going... I'm not sure this is the first Sunday morning to come hear this. I knew this already. Here's why you and I had to say this out loud. Because you and I don't do this. We don't. We don't. We know this. And after we blow it up and make a mess, we go, man, I, I probably should have asked. But we don't do this well in our lives. Why don't we? Why don't we do this in our lives? Let me give a couple of reasons. Why you and I as believers are so, so hesitant to do this. Reason number one, we're men. (laughs) Do I have to say anything else, right? I mean, I ain't asking for directions. Shut up. You know? And there is. There's something within the wiring of a man. This is hard. This is hard. And so you, you... Guys, you need to listen twice as hard today. Because this is hard for us. And we think, this, we think this infringes on our manhood. And we think this makes us a sissy. And we're wrong. We're wrong. Second reason. It's pride. It's pride. It's pride. And you know what Scripture says about pride? Scripture simply says this. Pride comes before a fall. You want to figure out how to stumble through life? Be proud. And a haughty spirit before destruction. And, and you're right, you're right. You want to know how to mess up your life really, really well? Be too proud to ask. Be too proud for anybody else to speak into your life the truth of God. Just be proud. You can mess it up really good. And again, I get, I get this. I get, I get that asking is humbling. I, I get there's a point in that moment where, where you go... It looks like I don't know what I'm doing. You don't. You don't. So ask. I, t- I, I, tell, I, I get a chance to meet with pastors every once in a while, and, and they come to me and they go, they go, how are you doing what's going on at Cornerstone? And I just want to say, we all know it's God and all that other stuff, but you know what I say to pastors all the time? I don't know what I'm doing. I've never attended a church this big, let alone lit, led a church this big. I spend my time asking others who've led something bigger. How do you do this? What do I need to know that I don't know I need to know? <laughs> this will tell you about me. I'm, 
I'm walking around the building the other day and uh, they're out there working on the street and they're doing some curbing and there's this guy and he's working on the concrete and he's got this little tool and he's going back and forth. And I mean, within like four swipes, it, it's like gone from ugly, cruddy looking concrete to it. It looks perfect. And I walk by and you, you want to hear what I said to my, in that moment, I look at it and I go, wow, that is so cool. And then I said this to myself, I bet you I could figure out how to do that on my own. I walk, I walk a little further down the road and I stop and I go, that's the stupidest thing. I'm going to figure out how to work concrete on my own. I mean, how painful would the mistakes be, right? I mean, you'd have to like take a jackhammer to fix all the dumb tries. Guys, you and I have got a list of decisions we made in our life saying to our hearts, I bet I could figure out how to do that on my own. And we didn't ask because it was humbling and because someone might not think we knew what we were doing. And we poured the concrete. And now we're having to go back and jackhammer out dumb decisions because we didn't ask a godly person. Hey, you've already gotten where I'm trying to go. Would you tell me what God spoke to you and what you had to learn the hard way? So that I don't have to. Last reason. One of the reasons you and I don't ask is because we already know the answer. See, we're pretty sure what that godly person would tell us if we asked, and we don't like it. Isn't that exactly what Rehoboam did? I just don't like the answer. And we're pretty sure even before we... Yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. If I asked godly counsel, should I marry her? Should I buy that? Should I move there? I already know, I know, I know, I know. They, they'd say probably not. I don't like that answer. So I'll just not ask. And then I'll say, you know, I, 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 don't, I prayed about it and God didn't kill me, so I did it. I'm sitting with a young lady the other day. Right in the middle of making horrible, horrible, sinful, sinful decisions for her life. And as we sat there talking, I just said, look, I'm just going to tell you, don't do it. The decisions you're making right now, at the very least, are going to cause you profound, profound heartache because they're so clearly, they so clearly violate this. They're so clearly what you want to do and just don't do it. And you, you may, you may spend the rest of your life regretting what you're about to do. And then here's what I simply said. I, I get that you don't want to hear that. For, I, get, I get it. Go ask. Just go ask. Go ask godly people, any godly people you know in your life, what they would do if they were you having to make this decision in their life. Don't ask your friends. They're too close. Don't, don't even ask your relatives. No, no. Don't ask anyone who's got any stake in this thing. Just go ask godly people who are willing. Just ask. Anybody want to guess how many people she asked? None. Well, why not? Because she knew and I knew what godly people would have said.
See, sometimes the reason we don't ask, we already know the answer. And we want our answer. And in that moment, you've already got the answer. You don't want the will of God. Let, let me give an example of how this worked in, and has worked in my life. Years ago, I'm, I'm youth pastoring. And uh, I've taken a group of kids in, in junior hires. <clears throat> and uh, I'm on a camp out. And we're staying overnight, and we've got the girls' tent and the guys' tent thing going on. There was one young boy on the trip. His name was Joel. And Joel had made an amazing discovery that weekend. Girls are good. (laughs) Life-changing thought, you know. Stopped having cooties, suddenly became amazing. One weekend. So... Now we're sitting there, we're trying to camp out, we pull in the camp, it's like kind of late at night and we get everything all set up, we get the kids in the tents and, and we're trying to go to sleep. 11 o'clock at night and I hear Joel serenading the girls' tent. <laughs> so I get out of my tent, I go over to Chuck, I go, Joel, 11 o'clock at night, dude. There are people like 50 feet away from our, this is a community campground thing. You can't do that. Shut up. (laughs) I go back to bed. I'm I'm in my sleeping bag. 1.30 in the morning. I'm like... So I get out of my... With the love of Jesus, I get out of my sleeping bag. I head over to Joel's tent. I go, dude... Shut up. And, and, and if you don't be quiet, look, you don't want, you don't want me to come back. I'll kill you if I come back. And I go back to my tent. 2.30 in the morning. Right. And I get out of my tent. I, I grab Joel. I grab a couple of the other guys who are making noise. I take him over to my tent. You're sleeping with me now. And I, it just, Next morning comes and I look at these guys, Joel, the ringleader, and I go, I am so mad that if I decided what to do with you, I, I, I would just kill you. And then I'd have to answer to your parents. So we're going to go home Sunday. Come talk to me. We'll figure out. So I, I calm down and, and I come up with this amazing answer. Sunday comes, Joel, the other guys come up. I said, look, look, here's what we're going to do. Totally fair. You just established, you just proved that you don't know how to behave on a trip. You don't know how to be on an activity and take direction. So just consider yourself uninvited from the next activity. Don't come because you've proved you don't know how to behave on an activity. That's one of our, that's privilege. You don't know how to behave. Don't come to the next activity. After that activity is over, you can come and petition me. You can come and ask and say, Len, I'm ready. And we'll talk about whether or not you come to the next activity or not. Okay, but don't even think about coming to this activity. Just so happened this activity, the activity coming up was it was Hall- it was a dress up thing for Halloween. Unbeknownst to me. <laughs> no, you you're going the wrong direction. Unbeknownst to me, Joel and his mom had spent weeks sewing his costume. His goal in life had been to have the best costume there. I just ruined his life. Okay? And his mom hates me. 
So party gets over, all that's going on. And now, you know, we're walking around at church. And, and I begin to notice that as I walk down the sidewalk at church, Joel's mom sees me coming, leaves the sidewalk, goes to the other sidewalk, walks past me at church, and then comes back to my sidewalk. I think to myself, she's so wrong. I, Joel won't talk to me. Joel won't say a word to me. So I go to another pastor within that church, a godly man who was where I wanted to be, who desperately, desperately loved Jesus. And I said to him, I, did, I just need to let you know I'm having a problem. I'm right. They're wrong. And I told him the story that I just told you. And I said, so I just want you to know that, you know, in case you hear, because I'm right and they're wrong. And, uh, I, yeah, in that moment, that godly man said to me, Lynn, you're right. They're wrong. And now you need to love them the way Jesus would love someone when he was right and they were wrong. And I walked out of that office and I thought, that's the dumbest advice. I And I'm walking back to my office and, and you ready for this? And my heart said, God just spoke. Because what he just asked you to do is exactly what Jesus would have asked. So I purposed in my heart, I said, look, I, I'm going to love that booger. And, and, and now this is kind of hard because they see me coming down the sidewalk. They go to the others. They, they run from me. So here's what I had to do. I had to sneak up on them. Okay. <laughs> So I would wait. We're at church and I'd wait till I, their backs were to me. I'd sneak up behind them and I'd put my arms around them and I'd say, I just want you to know, man, I love you. And, and they'd go. <laughs> and I just kept doing that over and over and over again. And, and, and after a while, you begin to feel the shoulders soften and relax. Joel ended up coming back to youth group. A year and a half later, I'm being fired at that church. And I'm sitting in front of the students and I'm saying, guys, I'm, I'm not going to be your youth pastor anymore. And spontaneously, one young man, Joel, leapt up from his seat at the back of the room, ran up to me in front of his peers and threw his arms around me and with weeping, weeping voice said, I love you, Lynn. I'm, I'm just going to tell you, that moment doesn't happen if I hadn't been willing to hear the voice of God through a godly counselor in my life. If I had done what felt right and probably what half the rest of the world would have told me I was done, that moment doesn't happen. And you know what? It'd be enough if the story stopped there. You want to hear the rest of the story? I go spend seven years in Southern California being a youth pastor. I then believe God's asked me to come back to Arizona, plant a church called Cornerstone. And as we're getting ready to start this church, I send out a letter to people I used to know and say, I just want you to know I'm getting ready to maybe start a church. What do you think? A young man by the name of Joel calls me up and says, Lynn, if you'll start that church, I want to be the first person in the core group.
and help you start that church. His mother became our greatest financial supporter as we began to open this church. I saw the day, you ready for this, where Joel taught my son in Sunday school. Joel went on to be an elder in this church. You guys, most of you have met Joel. He teaches your children on Tuesday nights in Kaboom. Never would have happened if not for God speaking through a godly man, his will into my life. Let's pray. Here's what I'm going to ask. If the decision were today, if the moment were coming, if you said, I, I just, I don't know, and I need to know, who would you go to for godly advice? Who would be on your list? And I'm just going to say to you, if your list is too short, then here's what I know. You are not connected enough into the body of Christ yet. You're just not. You've missed the whole point of the church because the reality is you and I are supposed to be here for exactly this moment in each other's lives. So let me ask you again. You have to make the decision. You've got to decide whether or not to invest. Do I marry or don't I marry? Do I move or don't I move? Do I take the new job or stay? Who would you ask? Who is that godly person, persons, who you would go to and know they would speak the truth of Jesus into your life and you could trust that they had? Dear Heavenly Father, we just come to this moment and it's easy and oh so hard. It's simple and amazingly powerful. And I'm just going to ask that for many of us who are sitting here and would just take a moment of honesty, maybe they've heard the words that I've said today in counsel to their lives and would say, I don't have anyone. I, I don't, my life isn't tied closely enough with any really, really solid Christians who've already gotten to where I need to go. That the truth is when I get to those moments and it's crunch time and I've got to make a call, I don't know who to call. And I got to change that. Because sometimes... Sometimes God speaks his will through godly Christians. This we say in Jesus' name. Amen.